I want to start just by telling you how good it is to be with you. This morning I have driven by this church so many times, and it is a delight to be in your beautiful space today and to have been so warmly welcomed as well. You all are good at welcoming people. (laughs) Well, I wish I could believe. Actually, I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody has said exactly that to me, or something like it, or every time I have said it to myself. It must be nice to believe. I'd like to believe, you know, like, like they do, but of course I can't. I think it's wonderful if you can believe, but this is a sermon about believing and what that means in a liberal religious community, a community where if it's anything like the community that I serve and most Unitarian Universalist congregations I've been to, a community where the scientific method is invoked about as frequently as the Bible. Is it half and half here, Carl? So what can belief possibly mean to us? Aren't we the fact people, you know, the science people, the evidence people? Aren't we, as Robert Weston said in that beautiful reading this morning, aren't we the doubt people? In fact, some would say that we're the non-believers, I remember watching Barack Obama's inauguration four years ago, the first one, and the shout-out that he gave during his, his speech to the non-believers. I actually was watching it with my congregation, and so my congregation, which is an ethical society, not so different from Unitarian Universalist congregations, but even more on the humanist spectrum, my congregation had a little ripple that went through it. Oh, he said non-believers! Now, I have a couple of problems with that phrase, non-believers. The first thing is that it certainly doesn't encompass everyone in this community. I can guarantee that just by looking at the list of things you do here and the list of the kind of people that you are. We have folks in my community and in this community who are theists, who are agnostics, who are humanists, who are Buddhists, who are Christian. The other problem I have with it is I don't really want to be a non-anything. And then by its very definition, the idea of being a non-believer kind of constricts belief. You know what I mean? It it constricts it to a particular set of Judeo-Christian values. It says that this is what belief looks like, and if that's not what you believe, then you're a non-believer. I'm not even sure that all of the believers think that that's exactly what belief looks like. In fact, I'm sure it's not. But for some of us, that shout-out from President Obama was still exciting four years ago. The idea that there's some recognition that there are the nuns out there, not the nuns like the monks and the nuns, but the nuns, the the nun, um, no belief, no religion, the idea that there are those of us for whom belief is not the most important thing. And so I would imagine that there are folks in this congregation that would resonate with what Frederick Nietzsche said about, about belief and about faith. He said, faith, well, that's not wanting to know what is true. <laughs> so in a community like this one, what can it possibly mean to have faith? Well, the congregation I serve and many Unitarian Universalist congregations answers that 
in, in a particular way. <clears throat> At the Washington Ethical Society, we say we have faith in human goodness. And you hear that in the Unitarian Universalist principles as well. We affirm the worth, the inherent worth of every person. That's where we place our faith. So the first question I have is, is what does that even really mean, to have faith in human goodness in the worth of every person? It doesn't mean that everyone is completely good. The original Unitarian concept of the possibility of goodness, it was actually the original Unitarian heresy in the 19th century, as William Ellery Channing articulated it, was the idea that each of us had the possibility to grow in likeness to God, that we had the possibility to grow in goodness. And Felix Adler, who founded Ethical Culture, which is the tradition that I serve, now Felix Adler talked about the attribution of worth. He had a whole list, actually, in, in one of his books, An Ethical Philosophy of Life, where he talks about all the ways that he does not see people as worthy, that if you look at this person, they do not seem like they have a whole lot of worth at all, but that he affirms the existence of worth within them nonetheless. So that idea of faith on a one-to-one -one level, that comes in when there's someone who sits before you who you can't really figure out has any worth. It might be on the other side of the aisle. might be on the other side of the dinner table. And what we're called to do because of our faith is to look for that worth, to look for the divine spark within the flame of beauty and humanity, and even when we can't see it there, to believe that it's true. Frankly, to pretend that it's true, to tell yourself that it's true, and to have your actions follow from that belief. I think about our monks in the story this morning who believed that maybe Brother Grumpy was the Messiah. You never know. And since you never know, you might as well act as though it might be true. St. Augustine called faith, faith, he said, is to believe what you do not see. The reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Like most acts of faith, believing in the potential for goodness in another person is much more about you than it is about them, about how you experience the world, how you experience the life around you. It's you that is changed by that faith. So what about the world? You know, faith in human goodness isn't just about the individual in front of you. It's about how we look as the, at the world as a whole. These are hard times in the world. And they are always hard times in the world. Always the sorrows that we bring to a community like this show us the hard times we go through ourselves, the hard times that our country goes through. There has been over time a legitimate criticism of liberal religion and liberal theology that we hold an insufficient understanding of evil. One of the reactions of the neo-orthodoxy to the horrors of World War II was to say, you know, folks, this idea of the upward and onward progress of humanity that liberal religion holds out, that doesn't seem to be working for us. And I can resonate with that critique. It's important, I think, for us to consider what evil might be, how and where it lives. 
to see that inside each of us is the potential for great goodness, but, but the potential to go astray as well. And woe to any of us who forgets that all that is human lives within each of us. But any religion has to offer a word of hope, a word of love, a word of faith in the face of all that lies around us. For me, this is where I am most called to be faithful, where I am most called to be believing. I've been thinking a lot about Martin Luther King Jr., this time of year, of course, and there are two quotes that I want to share with you, one from Martin Luther King himself and one that he quoted. That first one he he quoted from Theodore Parker, a Unitarian minister in the 19th century and an abolitionist. And Barack Obama has quoted Martin Luther King quoting it. I think it's actually embroidered on the rug in the Oval Office. But here's what Theodore Parker originally said. The arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I don't know if that's true, but I believe it. I have to believe it. There's another quote from Martin Luther King Jr., and these are his own words. He said that faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Isn't that nice? Faith is the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase. It's comforting to me to think that this great man didn't always see the whole staircase, that he didn't always know that the arc of the universe was really going to bend, that sometimes all he could see was the step in front of him, and that he was faithful to take that step. If you read some of Martin Luther King's work, you really see that idea of the the next step and how hard he worked to find the next step and to take it. The organizing that went into his work. You know, it wasn't just great oratory. It was time in church basements and time getting people to show up and, and organizing where they would meet. The work that he did each step of the way without the civil rights movement planned before him as some great idea that he knew exactly how it would unfold, without knowing what would come after his life, without even being able to imagine it, still he took that next faithful step. But you know, in all of that organizing, in all of that work, is the potential for another failing in liberal religion, I think. And that's the idea that we are the shape of the arc toward justice. Of course, in some ways, it's true, and I do not want to get in trouble with your minister and have you think that I just told you to stop organizing and working for social justice. I did not say that. Don't stop. But in other ways, you know, I wonder... Even the most ardent of evidence-based scientists see that the whole is bigger than each of us alone, right? Sometimes I talk about the story of humanity, this, this great story we can't possibly see all of, that we each have a part to play in that story, that our part is making our little chapter more beautiful, our little chapter more just, but that we're hoping that we're going to make the whole story more beautiful, more compassionate, more just. 
So for me, that's another piece of faith. That the whole is not just bigger than, than each of us alone, but that somehow it's bigger than all of us put together, too. Bigger than all of us added up. I would say that this gives room for grace, for serendipity, for the unexpected and the wonderful to just happen somehow. It's a faith that it gets better, that we make it better, that we take those steps, but also that somehow it just will be one day. It will just be beautiful and love-filled that the arc of the universe will someday bend so radically, so deeply toward justice. Voltaire said, faith consists in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe. And it is surely beyond any power of reason to think that one day we will be able to prove the neo-orthodoxy wrong. That one day no one will have to challenge me on my theology of evil because goodness has prevailed. But I want to believe it anyway. I choose to believe it, to act as though it may be true. And here is why. That belief allows me to live. It allows me to work, to organize, to do all the things that I should be doing if indeed the universe's arc is only up to us, to me and to you and all of us together. Some people do justice work, I think, from an experience of anger, of righteous indignation, of inequality and the passion from that deep sense of justice. And that is a good and right reason to work for change. I get angry sometimes. There's plenty that's wrong in the world. But I know that I work best. I speak best and act best when I do so from a place of deep and heartfelt belief that it will be better. That what I want to see happen in the world is so right and so beautiful and so just that it simply cannot help but come to pass someday. For me, the justice work that speaks most deeply, work for civil rights, for equality, anti-racism work and anti-oppression work, work against homophobia and heterosexism and transphobia, that is work for wholeness. Work for a world that is right. I really like speaking at rallies. But one of the problems with doing that is I rarely make it through without crying. Not because injustice and oppression make me sad, although they do, but because when we work together for wholeness, when we come together in that way, I can just almost see the world that I believe in, the world as it ought to be. I can almost see the world we're trying to create together. Just enough to know that my belief is true. I said earlier that that communities like this one, we often invoke the scientific method just as much as the Bible, so I hope you'll be okay if I invoke the Bible a tiny bit. There's a passage that I just love from Mark uh, 9.24. And it's a story like many stories in the Bible where a man is going up to Jesus and says um, that he seeks help for his child who is sick. 
And Jesus turns to the man and he says, well, all is possible for those who believe. And the man says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. To me, the thing that is powerful about that story is the idea that none of us believe all the time. That at the same moment that we believe that that world is possible, just in that exact same moment, we aren't sure if it's really true. We don't always believe that the person across the table or across the aisle has goodness within them. We don't always really believe that the world can be the way we hope it will be. All beliefs take care and tending. It's what we do in a community like this one, in a congregation. We care for each other, and we care for each other's beliefs. And I I want to close by telling you a story about how my belief in that world, that bend of the universe, how my belief was tended one day. It took place at one of those rallies that I mentioned. But the surprising thing, the surprising thing is that it helped my belief because this rally was for something that we knew wasn't going to happen. About a year ago, two friends of mine, two women who had been a couple for about 25 years, most of that time in secret because both of them served in the Navy, but now openly, these two women were going to ask for a marriage license at the Fairfax County Courthouse in Virginia. Now, I serve in the District of Columbia, and we took care of marriage equality. Check. And uh, up here in Maryland, we've taken care of marriage equality. Check. But Virginia, Virginia has a ways to go. So we knew when they went up to the courthouse that day, we knew that they were going to be turned down. You know, that's what we were there for. We had gathered 100, 150 of us to witness the moment of rejection. The moment when they, when they didn't get that license they were requesting. And we knew it was going to happen, but you know, somehow it was still hard when it did happen. And my task that day at the rally was to announce to the gathered crowds the moment that it happened. The moment that they were denied a marriage license and would begin walking back out of the courthouse with their minister. And I was so nervous about how to say this hard thing, about how to tell the people gathered, all of whom loved these two women and loved the equality that they were fighting for, how to tell them that what we knew would happen really had happened, that the world wasn't fair yet, and that we couldn't legally honor their love that day. So the best thing to do when you are nervous or sad is to sing. And that's what we all did together that day. As my friends walked down the courthouse steps and into the waiting crowd, we sang. There is more love somewhere. There is more love somewhere. I'm going to keep on Till I find it, there is more love somewhere. And the amazing, 
magical thing about that moment. The thing that made me remember, oh, yes, I believe, I am a believer, is that it was true. Not just that somewhere out there in some future we can't even really imagine or see there is more love, but that really, right then, there was more love. That we would find it, that we would keep on going until we find it. We were all so sure of it in that moment. And now, whenever I sing this song, I think about that moment, about those two courageous women, about all of us gathered there to witness and to grieve and to hope and ultimately to believe together. I am a believer, and I know that what I believe, it just has to be true.